0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to Talk Water, a Bluetech research podcast series focused on providing water market intelligence, a place where we discuss new and emerging water technologies, growing markets and how the future of the water sector is being shaped and changed by the broader megatrend of the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you very much for joining us and again, a very warm welcome. On today's episode, we speak to Walmart, America's largest retail corporation on its water initiatives. We'll follow that up with a look at the new type of micropollutant called 1,4-Dioxane, found at many federal facilities because of its widespread use as a stabilizer in certain chlorinated solvents. But first, let's hear from our research editor, Reese Owen, about Bluetech's work this month. Reese, welcome and, and thank you for joining us. It'd be great if you could take us through some of the research items Bluetech has looked at in the, in the past month.
1: Sure. So, in the last month, or well this month, we feature a blog post from Paul O'Callaghan, Tech CEO, uh, on the raw water phenomenon. Now this is something that's been in the news lately about a company which is offering bottled water full of all the goodness of nature, as well as literally anything else that might happen to be in it, since it's unfiltered, untreated, and unsterilized. Uh, it was covered on The Late Show in the US by Stephen Colbert in a very funny piece where he points out it's also unsane. Um, Yeah, it's just a comical piece. Uh, The reason we're writing about it, aside from it being funny, is we think it does reveal a trend in which trust in public water supplies is actually eroding. And uh, rightly or wrongly, people are beginning to question whether things are being extracted from water that maybe should have been left in or even whether harmful substances are being added. Now, it seems to say this is crazy, but interestingly... Some of these people may have a very small point. Reverse osmosis can remove minerals from water, which uh, then needs to be remineralized. And unintentionally carcinogenic chlorinated byproducts can be created in the treatment process if uh, organic material is present with the chlorine. And of course, lead can be leached from uh, older pipes, uh, with Flint Michigan being a, a very obvious flashpoint for this.
0: So, what does this mean for utilities? I mean, if people lose confidence in public water, then that puts us puts us in a similar situation. Um, if you recall, portable water reuse um, is also of uh, not not very well uh, hasn't received great uh, PR. Um, so, in yeah. it makes both cases. Um, so, in both cases, people mistrust their sources of water. So, will direct portable reuse then face even more difficulty in being accepted by the public?
1: Well, ironically, this could be good for water reuse because, uh, as you say, it's already facing an uphill PR battle in many places. Um, uh, but the fact is, it's the, the bar is much higher for treatment, uh, uh, particularly potable water reuse. So, uh, such lengths are, have been gone to reassure the public and introduce extra treatment trains and stages that, in fact, it, it could actually uh, be good in some way for it. Um, I mean, all this points to an increased trend for people wanting to have more transparency on what they're drinking, people want to take control and be more aware of water quality in, in many places. Uh, it's fundamental to health, and we increasingly expect real-time data on you know, what calories we've consuming, how many steps we've taken, how much we've slept. Uh, so the main effect could be a further demand for more transparency and, and data availability of them people drilling into really what it is that's coming
0: out of that tap. Yeah, and there is an example that we've uh, we've seen, uh, companies like like we featured in this month's uh, briefing. Um, an Israeli company called Lyshot um, offers a, a non-contact handheld sensor that gives an instantaneous, um, I think it's a traffic light system water quality reading, letting you know if the water is safe, dubious or not safe at all. <laughs> and the business model and approach is highly innovative in the water sensor market. So we think, anyway, um, and again, as you're right, Reese, the goal is democratization of water da- data and an empowering users to monitor their water quality.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and with Listop, uh, it's it's aiming to be a, it's a crowd funded consumer electronic play in the water space, which is very interesting. You know, whether or not the company ultimately succeeds or fails, that's quite an interesting development. And also, this points to the increased possibility, we think, of consumers adopting point of view systems in the home. Uh, we're going to be investigating this in a forthcoming Blue Tech Insight report. And we're going to be looking at a related issue, which is a micro and in personal care products, things like pharmaceuticals and water. Uh, but to get back to this month, um, on the BlueTech Intelligence platform, we have a in-depth analysis of the challenges and pain points of anaerobic treatment technology for high-strength industrial wastewater. And what we're looking at is uh, how some of the newer companies and challenger companies have been like on the market are tackling the, the challenges of anaerobic technology, which is advantageous from the point of view of producing biogas and mm-hmm. having a smaller footprint and less sludge. Um, but it has suffered from a perception that it's complex and and it doesn't respond well to shock loads. Now, industries such as food and drink, uh, batch-orientated industries are particularly susceptible to variations in the COD and pH and so on. So there are quite a few interesting companies that are looking at uh, meeting these challenges and actually getting market share and, and, and getting into brewing companies and dairies and facilities like that with anaerobic treatments.
0: Very exciting. Can you give us some examples of some of the companies that's that's been covered in the report?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the um, younger companies making headway in this area um, for example is the Irish company NVT. Um, one of the, the interesting things about NVP, one of them, is that it seems to be one of the only companies offering an anaerobic solution that can operate in temperatures below 20 degrees Celsius. hmm Uh, which of course opens the door to using anaerobic treatment in municipal areas uh, which don't often see the temperature climb above 20 degrees, for example, where we are here in northern Europe. Um, So, yeah, lots of interesting developments there. And then finally, uh, we have expert John Vale with a timely look at recent moves by the American administration to open up the entire. Um, offshore continental shelf in America for offshore drilling so on the face of it that could be an excellent opportunity for produced water treatment suppliers Mm -hmm. Uh, but John has written a piece very interesting on why all may not be as it seems and that's on the platform at the moment as well and it's an area we'll be continuing to watch
0: Fantastic another uh, bulky edition Yes
1: And it's almost time already uh, to to work on the next one.
0: Exactly, it is. Um, Great. Well, thank you very much for that, Reese, And for all Bluetech clients, this research material is accessible on the Bluetech intelligence platform on uh, www.bluetechresearch.com. For others, if you're interested in one or more of the topics we've mentioned, um, please feel free to get in touch with us. Thanks again, Reese. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think that went... Moving on to our next piece... Managing water in a circular economy is the focus of today's podcast and also the theme for Blue Tech Forum this year. So what does managing water in a circular economy mean? Well, it's developing a comprehensive suite of solutions to respond to today's global challenges. And those solutions can range from developing integrated water resource management strategies to implementing wastewater reuse strategies. And, you know, over the past year, corporate users such as PepsiCo, L'Oreal, Metzaboard, all from different industry segments have shared with us their water challenges. On today's episode, we speak to Walmart, American multinational retail corporation that operates a chain of hypermarkets, discount department stores and grocery stores. So I speak to Walmart about its role in water. We have in line with us Tony McCrory, Senior Manager at the Water Compliance Division of Walmart. Tony, welcome and thank you for joining us. You know, as I mentioned at the start, we've spoken to various end users from different industry sectors about their water sustainability goals, but this would be our first conversation with a retailer. So I suppose compared with other industries like mining, manufacturing and agribusiness that extract and consume large quantities of water, retail doesn't really consume that much water. I mean, but at the same time, I can imagine that Walmart's responsibility extends far beyond its own operations, you know, to the supply chains. But in terms of Walmart's operations alone. Can you share with us some approaches that Walmart has taken to conserve water?
2: First off, Divya, thank you for this opportunity. We're very excited to be a part of the conference and to get to participate in today's podcast. We at Walmart estimate that more than 20% of our operations around the world are, or by 2025, will be located in regions facing high levels of water stress. We are working to preserve the quality and quantity of water available by improving efficient water use in our operations. In watersheds that face scarcity or other stresses, we work to reduce unnecessary water use in our operations, beginning with more efficient low-flow fixtures and other technologies in the design of our facilities. Next, we begin to evaluate and redesign processes to require less water, monitoring usage to identify and repair leaks, and in some areas, even treating and recycling water. A few of our current initiatives I'll illustrate next. On-site water treatment and reuse in Walmart, Mexico, Mm -hmm. is one of the projects that we've been working on. Um, They're one of our largest operations, and they play a leading role in water, water stewardship for our company, especially when it comes to water treatment and reuse. In fiscal year 2017, we increased our number of on-site wastewater treatment plants in Mexico to 760 plants, and that's roughly 30% of our fleet. Another project that we're very proud of is our rainwater harvesting in South Africa business in our MassMart. We use modest amounts of water in in those operations. However, the group has taken proactive steps to further reduce its water footprint by outfitting almost every facility with a rainwater harvesting system. Within our operations, we look at reducing water usage into a series of processes and look at each step of the process for ways to use less. For example, each day, Walmart washes thousands of tractor trailers. Previously, each wash consumed up to 550 gallons of water and used harsh detergents to scrub off the dirt, debris, and road salt. By re-engineering the equipment, we were able to cut the water used to as little as 195 gallons per wash and to reclaim and reuse up to 80%, 86% of that water. We also switched to less harsh yet still effective cleaners such as citrus-based soaps and lowered the energy use by up to 76%. These are a few of the items that we're doing within our own operations.
0: You know, the work you're doing in Mexico is truly phenomenal. You mentioned the increase in the number of on-site water treatment plants across um, unit operations, and it's common knowledge that water is quite often a local issue, so the big increase in the number of plants, I'm sure, comes with its own unique set of challenges. But tell me, when viewing it in the realm, what are some of you- Walmart's biggest challenges and what solutions are Walmart looking, is Walmart looking to address them with?
2: Yes, I'd love to. Looking at our u s. operations and our stores and our clubs, our biggest water challenges currently revolve around water reuse. How do we make it work? Many of our processes have been streamlined with the unnecessary use of water eliminated. However, in theory, the water that is used could still be reclaimed and used again with some minor treatment. But how do you design, install, and operate over 5,000 small water reclamation facilities Mm -hmm. cost-effectively, efficiently, and compliantly? This is the challenge that we face. When you think about the other industries you mentioned before, the size and scale of their operations leads to solutions that may be big and costly, but will still lead to a cost-effective solution. And that's not necessarily the case when you're working with thousands of small facilities scattered across the US. Solutions must be tailored to the facility without having a tailored price tag. Until the price of water reflects its actual cost, obtaining a return on investment for water reuse is quite difficult for a retailer.
0: Yeah. And, and I was going to ask you what the process of selecting new technologies within Walmart is, but I think you've You've, you've answered my question there. Um, you mentioned return on investment, of course, is uh, is your number one target.
2: That is one of our targets, but we still have some other um, selection criteria that we're really focused on. And, and probably the first before return on investment is that it's a win-win partnership. If it's a solution that doesn't work for one of the parties involved then it's not necessarily going to be sustainable long term so we are always looking for those win-win partnerships Um, we also want to make sure that for walmart that no solution we ever put in place is going to put us out of compliance Mm -hmm. with any applicable regulations or permits so if the answer to the question is we will be out of compliance by implementing this solution then it's back to the drawing board for us. Um, The only other item that's really of concern whenever we're evaluating new technologies is, is it a simple process? Is it easy to operate and maintain? Um, If the technology requires a skilled technician or incredibly expensive specialty equipment, then it's probably not going to be the right fit for our facilities. Our associates really need to be focused on what they're doing in their retail operations, not necessarily how to operate and maintain a technology for water reuse.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, in terms of looking ahead, what are your water goals for the next five years and what plans does Walmart have in place to achieve them?
2: So I can't share too much information, but I do have some A couple of key projects that we're focused on over the next few years that Mm -hmm. we're really excited about. Um, The first is a project that really kicked off following the needs that we saw after the recent hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. Uh, We are partnering with Mercy Corps and the Miami Foundation to look at providing clean water to Puerto Rico. Walmart is designing a universal water filtration system for our stores and clubs on the island that will function via gravity flow without the need for an external power source and will be able to ensure operation during times of crisis. This will ensure potable water is constantly supplied to our locations during times of water outages or a reduction in supply, and that our customers have access to clean drinking water at all times. This project will be will include installing low maintenance solar energy systems and drinking water filtration systems to function off the grid, while providing reliable power and clean drinking water to people in the community.
0: When it come, you touched upon a number of important topics there, particularly when you spoke about the project um, in Puerto Rico. Would is Walmart considering technologies like decentralized modular systems? Would that be um, an attractive option for a place like Puerto Rico, for example. Very
2: much so. Um we're we're very focused on these decentralized systems, but systems that we can place in line with our current infrastructure in the stores and the clubs. Yeah. What we want to try to avoid is a large retrofit project that doesn't provide that quick turnaround time mm-hmm. and the low cost that we need. Yeah
0: thanks very much for your time, Tony, and we look forward to hearing more from you at the event. Thank you very much thank you and finally let 's hear more about this new contaminant one four dioxane that I mentioned at the start and find out really what it 's about so i 've caught up with Bluetech research analyst Mira Slawa to, to, to hear more on this. Mira, welcome and, th- and thank you very much for joining us. I've heard about 1,4-dioxane and I've heard that the EPA have classified it as likely to be carcinogenic to humans, so we're talking about some pretty scary stuff here. Um, So let's set the scene here, Um, explain to us what is 1,4-dioxane exactly and how does it get into water?
3: 1,4-dioxane is a synthetic industrial chemical which is primarily used as a stabilizer for chlorinated solvents during decreasing operations. It is now used in a wide variety of industrial purposes, such as a solvent for varnishes, resins, oils and waxes. It is a byproduct in the manufacture of polyethylene terephthalate, and it may also be found as an impurity in consumer products such as cosmetic, deodorants, shampoos or food packaging materials. The physical properties of dioxin, such as high mobility, non-volatility from water and high water solubility, Makes characterization and treatment quite challenging. It is very mobile in groundwater and may be found on the leading edge of a solvent plume. Conventional water treatment practices are ineffective at removing one for dioxin from water. So, ideally, it would be a better solution to stop pollution before it enters a water body.
0: Are there any federal and state guidelines that regulate this so far?
3: Well, 1,4-Dioxine is an emerging and unregulated contaminant. At present, a number of international guidelines exist, so the lack of enforceable standards means that manufacturers do not have to report discharges of 1,4-Dioxine and the regulators have no legal grounds to stop contamination. The value of maximum concentration values in micrograms per litre varies a lot. As an example, in the USA state of South Carolina, the value is 70 micrograms per litre, Whereas in Germany,
0: is 0.1. Great. Well, thanks for that, Mira. That was fantastic. Um, as far as the report's concerned, you know, in the report, we look at current legislation and see what market opportunities are opening up and for who. We also look at market dynamics and look at what is driving the market. Quite often, markets are driven by regulation. And often the possibility of new regulations means investment in new equipment. We look at market sizing and that relates back to occurrence. So where is 1,4-Dioxane an issue currently? And from there, we can begin to build market estimates. And finally, we also do a quick cross-comparison of technologies. So how does one class of technologies offer added advantages over another? What are the challenges and what early stage companies should we keep a watch out for that's growing in this space? So All of that is covered in the report and we'll follow that up with a webinar also. So that's all for this month. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned and we look forward to meeting you again in March. Have a great February. Thank you.